Reading 2 Samuel chapter 16 on page 267. When David had passed a little beyond the summit, Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, met him with a couple of donkeys saddled, bearing 200 loaves of bread, a hundred bunches of raisins, a hundred of summer fruits, and a skin of wine. And the king said to Ziba, Why have you brought these? Ziba answered, The donkeys are for the king's household to ride on, the bread and the summer fruit for the young men to eat, and the wine for those who faint in the wilderness to drink. And the king said, And where is your master's son? Ziba said to the king, Behold, he remains in Jerusalem, for he said, Today the house of Israel will give me back the kingdom of my father. Then the king said to Ziba, Behold, all that belonged to Mephibosheth is now yours. And Ziba said, I pay homage. Let me ever find favour in your sight, my lord the king. When King David came to Baharim, there came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gerah. And as he came, he cursed continually. And he threw stones at David and all the servants of King David. And all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. And Shimei said, said as he cursed, Get out, get out, you man of blood, you worthless man. The Lord has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. See, your evil is on you, for you are a man of blood. Then Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and take off his head. But the king said, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah? If he is cursing because the Lord has said to him, Curse David, who then shall say, Why have you done so? And David said to Abishai and to all his servants, Behold, my own son seeks my life. How much more now may this Benjaminite? Leave him alone and let him curse, for the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will look on the wrong done to me, and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing today. So David and his men went on the road, while Shemai went along on the hillside opposite him, and cursed as he went, and threw stones at him, and flung dust. And the king and all the people who were with him arrived weary at the Jordan, and there he refreshed himself. Now Absalom and all the people, the men of Israel, came to Jerusalem, and Ahithophel came with him. And when Hushai the Archite, David's friend, came to Absalom, Hushai said to Absalom, Long live the king! Long live the king! And Absalom said to Hushai, Is this your loyalty to your friend? Why did you not go with your friend? And Hushai said to Absalom, No, for the Lord, for whom the Lord and this people and all the men of Israel have chosen, his I will be, and with him I will remain. And again, whom shall I serve? Should it not be his son? As I have served your father, so I will serve you. Then Absalom said to Ahithophel, Give your counsel. What shall we do? Ahithophel said to Absalom, Go into your father's concubines, whom he has kept to keep the house, and all Israel will hear that you have made yourself a stench to your father, and the hands of all who are with you will be strengthened. 
So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof. And Absalom went into his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. Now in those days, the counsel that Ahithophel gave was as if he, one consulted the word of God. So was all the counsel of Ahithophel esteemed, both by David and by Absalom. I thanks uh, Rob for reading that and I think the children are just about to go and uh, throw stones at somebody. Ah, uh, glad you're staying in, eh? Or am I? You might be throwing stones at me by the end. Uh, because uh, I tell you, I need to apologise profusely to you. Uh, and uh, I wonder whether you've heard the saying that uh, uh, bad things happen in threes. I don't know if you've ever heard that, uh, but uh, let me tell you that I was late for church today. Uh, uh, I also uh, don't need that, Abigail, because uh, I did prepare slides to go on the screen as I do every week, but uh, I've had uh, the slides for next week's sermon, uh, so I'm afraid you're going to be looking at a black screen all night. Uh, <laughs> stay with the black screen <laughs> so that's two things gone wrong and you haven't heard the sermon yet so uh, uh, wait and see do things bad things happen in threes now in some ways that's a slightly playful question because it's just a saying that people have but it is a saying that people have because sometimes things go wrong and they go wrong and they go wrong again you just don't get a break one thing after another after another and it can be like that. And maybe that you're feeling like it's been like that for you as well. Now, here's the interesting thing. I bet you didn't expect that that is actually what you find when you step into the world of the Bible too. The Bible understands our emotions because the same things happen. People feel the same way in here. And therefore, uh, we're able to find a home in what God says uh, in the Bible. And we're going to see that in 1 Samuel chapter 16. And we're going to see that the worst thing about bad things that happen one after the other is that you then begin to feel that actually you're on the way down and you never get up again. All that happens when one bad thing after another happens is that you feel like you're spiraling down in a nosedive and all that happens if you're a Top Gun watcher is that you crash and you burn. And yet, what we're going to see is that um, <clears throat> something like that is here in 2 Samuel chapter 16. It seems like bad things are happening again and again to David, and it seems like he is losing it. In fact, actually, it seems like he's already lost it, if you saw the last chapter, because his son Absalom has just taken over his capital city, taken over his kingdom. Just look at chapter 15 and verse 7. And you'll see how uh, Absalom has uh, begun a conspiracy. And he says that um, he's going off to Hebron in verse 7. And uh, when <coughs> people uh, uh, get to Hebron, uh, he says that um, uh, he, he's going to be king. He's taking over. So you might say that David's lost it already, but here in chapter 16, 
we're going to see three final nails go into his coffin. Each nail has a name and we'll look at them in turn. The first nail in the coffin is called Zeba. You meet him in chapter 16, verse 1. Except in chapter 16, verse 1, it doesn't seem that he's much of a nail because he's actually come with provisions. David is a king on the run. He's not had time to pack. Here's a man who turns up with good things to keep him going. So you might think Zeba is on David's side. But you might remember that Zeba is the very shrewd business manager of the last king before David called Saul. And what David did was he took one of Saul's grandsons and was incredibly kind to him. His name was Mephibosheth. And he told Zeba, look, I'm going to give Mephibosheth all Saul's lands. I want you to manage it so that Mephibosheth gets looked after good and proper. Look after him. And so Zeba is tasked to do that. But now he comes to David with what would have seemed really nailing the coffin news for David. It would have been a massive discouragement to find out that this guy Mephibosheth, to whom David had been really kind, has stayed behind in Jerusalem, thinking now was his chance to be the king. So that would have been a great discouragement for David and a great encouragement from Zeba, you might think. But actually, Zeba is not just the bearer of bad news, he is actually bad news. Because what's happening here is his lying. You won't see that until you get to chapter 19. But remember, he's a shrewd businessman. He's backing two horses. On the one hand, he's saying, I'll look after you, David. Here are some provisions for you. But you notice that he's not going with David. And when Absalom comes and becomes king, he will be able to say, the very first thing I did when David left town was to break his orders to look after Mephibosheth. I'm not taking a single order from David. He's not my king. And therefore the way is open for him to change sides. Thank you for Hannah for putting up the visuals that I won't have. The first thing we do is actually discover the nail in the coffin is that he is lying. He is two-faced. So he's not encouraging David at all. He is a nail. Nail number two. Turn over the page and meet Shimei. And this nail sinks deeper. Because this time there's no pretend kindness like there was with Z, but this time it's just raw hatred. And uh, the nail sinks deeper for another reason. It's because there is actually some truth in what Zeba is saying. David is a man of bloodshed. If you follow the story so far, you will know that he has taken innocent life. Taken someone else's wife, killed her husband. He is a man of bloodshed. Shimei is half right. Half right. That means he's wrong. Because uh, the innocent blood that Shimei thinks that David has taken 
is the blood of King Saul and his family, Saul's house, he says. Get out, you man of bloodshed, in verse 7. You man of blood, you worthless man. The Lord is avenged on you and all the blood of the house of Saul. But David didn't shed a drop of Saul's blood or anybody who belonged to him. David is very careful to respect them. Now, he's entirely wrong. It's wrong cursing and it's pretty non-stop cursing in verse 5. He cursed God, he cursed him continually. Now, Abishai, David's friend, has had enough. In verse 9, uh, Abishai has made some observations about life. And uh, one thing he's noticed about life is that uh, people don't curse so much when they don't have a head. <laughs> and so Abishai offers that piece of wisdom to David and offers his services to David to go and take the head off and then that will stop the cursing, won't it? But this nail has sunk deep. David says, actually, no, we ought to treat what that man is saying like a prophet in verse 10. God may have told him to say what he just said. If he is cursing because the Lord has said to him, curse David, who then shall say, why have you done so? So that nail has sunk deep into David as well. Third nail. His name is Ahithophel. Okay, let me, I get paid danger money for this. Uh, let me do the hard name pronunciation. Uh, you can call him A if you like. But Ahithophel is the final nail and it really is saving the worst until the last. Because he's got the best brains in the outfit and he is on the other king's side. He is on Absalom's side. He once served David as David's counsellor. But now he's crossed the floor to serve Absalom instead. And we saw last week that in the Old Testament, Ahithophel is playing the role of Judas in the New Testament. So if you were to go to uh, Psalm uh, chapter 41 and verse 9, uh, on page 468, uh, Psalm 41 verse 9, which uh, is written about Ahithophel, Psalm 41 verse 9 says, Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. That's talking about Ahithophel. But if you just flip over to John chapter 13 verse 18, and that is on page 900, And you'll see, just under page 900 in the Bible, on the top right-hand side, uh, Jesus is now talking about Judas. And he says, the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Yes, Psalm 41 verse 9 is happening all over again. 
This time not Ahithophel, this time Judas. And you notice that uh, it is Judas that made the downfall of Jesus possible. Ahithophel is now set up to fulfill that role. And you see that he is such a star player that once you hear that uh, he has gone over to um, uh, Absalom's side, then the conspiracy uh, grows so much stronger in chapter 15 and verse 12. Chapter 15, verse 12. And while Absalom was offering the sacrifice, he sent for Ahithophel the Gilonite, David's counselor from his city. And then after he changed sides, you can see the conspiracy grew strong and the people with Absalom kept increasing. This man makes a difference. And you can tell how much David depends on him when he finally gets into Jerusalem, takes over the capital city in verse 20, and what does the first thing do? He, what, what's the first thing he does? He says, I have got a clue what to do. I'm meant to be the king, but I don't know what to do. Ahithophel, uh, you better give me some counsel. And uh, so, um, chapter 16, verse 20, then Absalom said to Ahithophel, uh, give me your counsel. What shall we do? He's absolutely depending on this genius. And so Absalom comes up with this genius idea, which is to set up a portable bedroom on the palace roof and for David to have sex, sorry, Absalom to have sex with David's concubines in verse 22. Look, I know it's not concubine is, is like a, 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 a second-class wife. And David uh, had left them to look after uh, his house in uh, chapter uh, 15 verse 12 I think it is and um, so in chapter uh, 14 verse 12 wrong where did David leave his, leave his concubines in charge sorry in, uh, it is in chapter uh, 15 and it's in verse 16 king went out and all his household and the king left ten concubines to keep the house and so now Ahithophel says set up the portable bedroom have sex with them in verse 22 why? because you have told everybody that you are the conquering king when you take the previous king's harem over and make it yours it's a big big statement to make because it's when you kill the previous king that you can take over his wives. Now David has left his concubines to look after the place until he gets back. What Absalom is saying is he's not coming back. He is dead meat. I'll have his wives. He's got no future. It's a big statement. It tells everyone that uh, Absalom is there to stay and that is Ahithophel's idea. He's stamping his authority on day one. So it all seems that uh, Absalom is uh, the guy in charge because he's got uh, Ahithophel on his side. And you can see how chapter 16 ends in verse 23. It says, Now in those days the counsel that Ahithophel gave was as if one consulted the word of God. So in other words, 
here is someone who never got it wrong and he is now telling the new king what to do. Of course he's going to win. Of course David is finished. You see, these are terrible nails going in and it very subtly, as the nails go in, if you look closely, you see how those nails are going to come out again. So, let's take those three nails again in turn. Take Zeba first. His motives are entirely wrong. But through those bad motives, David gets his much-needed supplies. God uses bad motives to serve his king. That happens in the New Testament as well. If you read, there's a letter there written by a man called Paul uh, to some friends of his in Philippi, so the letter's called Philippians. And in chapter 1, Paul talks about a group of people who just to spite him are telling people about Jesus because Paul, the great apostle who tells people about Jesus, happens to be languishing in a prison. So he can't be much of an apostle, can he? But these guys, they must be better than Paul because they're telling about Jesus more than he can. Wrong motives. But Paul says, God's using that. It's a good thing to do. God can bring good outcomes out of bad motives. The fact that someone's there with a bad motive doesn't trouble God one bit. Second nail, Shimei. Now, have another look at him. Because in chapter 16, verse 5, when he is introduced to us, before he says a single word, we are told something interesting. We are seeing David referred to as King David. That is his full royal title. My friends, you haven't heard David called his full royal title since chapter 13. It's as if the person who's writing this wants you to know, hey, remember who David is before you listen to a word that this man has got to say. And so Shimei, yep, he may have had a point. But in verse 12, David knows that God can take someone's cursing and bring blessing out of it. So that's what he says. The Lord will repay me with good for his cursing today. Okay, just take that in. It is because he is cursing that God is going to repay him for good. In other words, the cursing is going to go entirely the wrong way to produce blessing instead. Now, I don't want to make things complicated by taking around the Bible, but let me tell you another story about a guy called Balaam who was hired to curse God's people. And the more he cursed God's people, the more God blessed them. God is well able to take a person's curses and turn them into blessings. Now, I wish in some ways that my Christian brothers and sisters in Africa would understand that a little bit more because people who curse are massively feared. But you don't worry about that if God can take curses and turn them into blessings, do you? But better still, in the West, this is good news for us. Because people hate Christians and they've got a lot to say about Christians that are that are usually negative. My friends, 
That's okay. God takes curses, turns into blessings. Because of the curses, the blessings come. It's one of the great uh, amazing things about God that's not up to us to understand, but it is just fascinating to see. And then, let's get the third nail, Ahithophel. Again, before a single word is said by him, we're introduced to another one, another person in verse 17. We meet Hushai. Now, Hushai, we know, is David's friend working undercover. Now, Absalom is, is flattered that he has changed sides. He's also a little bit uh, unsettled by that. Uh, Absalom, what are you doing here? Is this loyalty to your friend? In verse 17. But Hushai, well, he's certainly sounding loyal, isn't he? Verse 16, he says, long live the king. Long live the king. Sounds like he's pretty much won over. Except you can take that two ways. You don't quite know which king he's wanting to live long. He, could, he might well be referring to David, mightn't he? In the same way, you might just say that you could take his reassurance in verse 19 in two ways. Just as I served your father, I'm going to serve you. Could be taken as, yeah, I've changed sides. Or it could be taken that actually I don't see a conflict of interest here. I served your father, now I serve you. and That's the way I'll be serving your father. Well, the nails are going in, but there is someone here who next week you will see might get that particular nail out. What can that teach us today? Well, my friends, if you're new to church like this or a Bible explanation like this or even the Bible is a new book to you in lots of ways, one of the things that might have put you off Christianity, churches, all that kind of stuff, is the fact that you get people in the church, and we're talking about people in the church in this chapter, if you like, part of God's people, people in the church who, what do they do? They do things with bad motives, a bit two-faced. Uh, they uh, really are pretty hating people, like Shimei. Uh, or uh, they are people who uh, really, um, yeah, they, they, they don't really exercise too much loyalty uh, to uh, the king that God has given us. Or worse, like Absalom himself, church leaders who are guilty of fragrant uh, sexual abuse that everyone can see. That's the Bible world. It's our world. And who's to blame you if you've been put off by seeing a church that is like that? But my friends, can you learn one thing from this part of the Bible? And that is that all the time in the family of God's people, there are actually two churches. Uh, there are churches who 
want to be loyal to God's king, and we'll see more of them next week, people who are going to identify with him, Hushai stands for someone like that. And then there are those who want, who are against God's king in the same family. And you know that this part of the Old Testament where David is God's king of the Old Testament is really helping us prepare for Jesus as God's king of the New Testament. So David has Ahithophel, Jesus has Judas. And God's king of the Old Testament has haters of God's king within, if you like, his kingdom. And Jesus, well, the ones who rejected him, were all part of God's people, weren't they? Now, within the one family, there are always two churches. And when it seems that the church is sometimes putting nails into its own coffin, acting against God's king, would you trust that the kingdom of God is not nosediving? It has always been like that. And yet we will see how those nails will come out. Now he will use bad motives, even from the wrong church, to serve his purposes, serve his people, bring in the provisions. He will turn curses into blessings. And he will defeat even the brightest enemy. And we're going to see that next week. So don't give up on God because you've seen this confusing picture. Simply choose the church of those who are closestly following God's King and keep trusting Him to continue being God's King, even though He might just seem to be slightly weaker than you would like Him to be. What if you're someone who would claim to have knocked around churches before and you're familiar with the church scene? You would say you're belonging to God's people. You aren't an outsider in that sense. But isn't it still helpful for us to remember that there are two churches? And that's always going to be true? And isn't it easy for us to gravitate towards uh, the impressive and the big? like people gravitated towards impressive Absalom. That was the dominant force. But my friends, be careful when something like verse 20, 23 is true in a church. In other words, when people take a man's word and treat it like the word of God. Hey, let the alarm bells ring. That is exactly what happened in the church of Absalom. They took... Ahithophel's words and in those days the counsel that Ahithophel gave was as if one consulted the word of God where well, when a man speaks and is treated the same way as God's word then we realize we have a problem my friends popes and pastors can be treated too highly and it is the Bible that exposes the trap that we shouldn't fall into. Therefore, it is only the Bible 
that can show us the way to safety, the only word that we follow. As long as the pastor or the pope speaks in line with this word, then it is not his word, it is God's word. The moment a pope or pastor takes your eyes off this word onto his particular thought, you're into Ahithophel territory. Be careful. You're in the wrong place. Thirdly, what if you are a real believer who wants to follow God's king, but it seems like his cause is in full retreat. It's getting you down. It's getting you down that there are phony Christians. It's getting you down that we're hurt by put-downs that we experience in church. The Shimei's haven't gone away. And we're hurt by the fact that um, uh, the, the wrong guys are the right guys and the wrong team. And we're sad that the people who are impressive are the ones who seem to be most against us. My friends, you don't want to be living through those times, and nor do I, honestly. But in the Bible, we do live through them. That's part of the reality of how things are. But just remember, the same God who was active in 2 Samuel 16, although he seemed to be pretty invisible, is our God today. Just keep trusting him and see how he will lead through the nails that might be looking like they're in the coffin, but which he alone can bring out. Watch this space. Come back next week. Let me pray. Let me give you one minute to pray yourself. You can talk to God in the light of what he has said in the Bible today. You might want to say, God, I've got you wrong. I want to turn to you. Or however you want to talk to him, do that in the next minute. And then I'll close in prayer. And then we normally have a time of questions and answers. You, you can ask whatever question. Um, <clears throat> and I'll get someone bright like a Hithophel to answer it. Or even I might have a go. Let's uh, pray first.